previously on Transformers Chronicles. And joining us for next episode where we discuss Transformers issue 17, where we go back to planet Cybertron for the very first time. I am so excited. I know. You've, you've only I've been, been talking really about this issue since like five. <laughs> 17. 17 is the greatest. I love 17. 17. Is it time to start yet? I am very excited about this issue. We still have a few breams before Delvin gets here. I have been waiting for this for like 0.6 of a born. And the shape are making up words now. Is this a Wisconsin thing? Is Pat going to do this too when he gets back? Hi, Delvin. We're practicing using the fakey timey words that they use in this issue. That way we'll always know what they mean when they use them throughout the rest of the Transformers comics that we'll read. Yeah, but I think this is the only time they use the terms brain and born, except for like one panel next issue. Wait one damn astrosecond. Are you telling me that we studied all night for nothing? I made flashcards. Will the greater and lesser halves of Married with Comics and the Rod Pod get over their weird self-imposed problem in time to remember that we're covering John's favorite issue? Yes. On episode 17 of Transformers Chronicles. The Marvel Year. Transformers Chronicles, The Marvel Years. Hello, and welcome back to Transformers Chronicles. I'm Delvin, a.k.a. The Dark Web. In case you're new to the show, welcome and let me tell you what this thing is all about. We're going for a wild, crazy ride chronicling the awesome, wacky, sometimes corny world of Marvel Comics' The Transformers. But I will not be going at it alone. Let's meet my chronicling companions. First up, we have our Transformers expert, the lesser half of Married with Comics, the provider of knowledge, Jonathan Schaefer Hames. John, it's Christmas Day. Are you happy? I am happy. (laughs) I mean, you've been waiting for this. Like, we were talking about other issues, and you'd be like, look, Look, 17, 17, 17. I'm like, but we're not at 17. We're here. We are here today at 17. I am pumped. I had a great day today. This is going to be like the icing on the cake of this day, as it were. Nice. Tell me something about the day, then. You don't have to tell me about anything that's happened since last episode. Just tell me about today. Today, it was great. I am exactly this kind of nerd. Um, Our local library does a... A thing where you get to reserve basically a private day in the library. They're doing it and just letting a few people like browse for an hour at a time and they're being like super good and there's only a very limited staff and it's like I got to realize my childhood dream basically was to be completely alone in a library. With <laughs> but it was great. I got to go there and pick up a whole bunch of books and came home and then later my favorite Star Trek author um, responded to one of my tweets and it was a tweet in which I misspelled three words because I had written it before I had coffee but uh, I were covering Transformers 17 so I don't care I am that happy everything is coming up Jonathan today I'm happy for you how about you Delvin has your life transformed in any way since last time or Well, nothing too transformative, but I do have an update on a Transformers movie that I watched, and that would be Bumblebee. You watched Bumblebee? I did. What did you think of Bumblebee? It was not bad at all. Like, I remember hearing people talk about it when it came out, and they were like, it's not bad. And I remember seeing the previews for it, and I'm like, okay, the Transformers actually look like Transformers. This already has promise in my eyes. And so I had good vibes going into the movie. And then I watched the movie and it was it was really good. They did a great job with Bumblebee. They did a great job with Is it Charlie? She was cool too. Like the like everything about the movie was actually was good. And I was just like this and you know you, you just had that kind of childish mind. This is actually delightful. And they set up the story well. Probably the worst part of it for me was that they tied it back to Transformers <laughs> the original movie. It's like <laughs> let it stand alone. Yeah. If they would have pretended that like the Michael Bay Transformers movies didn't exist, it would have been just through the roof. As it is, if I were rating it on our scale and stuff, it would be about an 8 out of 10. I enjoyed the heck out of it. I'm glad you liked it. 
All right. Well, Pat on the shelf for this issue as our resident who, despite his lifelong love of comics, has never encountered Marvel Transformers until now. And he wants to see what all the fuss is about with these robots in disguise. We have, once again, our kind of sort of regular stand-in, Maggie Schaefer-Hames. So take all the he, his pronouns out and put in her, um, her and hers. Something like that. It still works. Maggie, talk to us. What have you been up to since your last appearance on the show? Oh, boy. Well, in my never-ending quest to become a better, healthier me, I've started doing power yoga every morning. And this is week four, um, where I'm doing now like 30 to 45 minutes every morning before I go to work. Um, Namaste. Pain is what you feel when you get stronger. That's what I'm telling myself. <laughs> Because it hurt this morning, but it's a good pain. I've been really enjoying it. I'm really getting into it. Um, and it's I, it's already starting to pay off a little bit, and I like how I feel. And especially with everything going on in the world right now, it's good to feel good. Yeah, I love the heck out of yoga. I have yeah. done it off and on for about the past 10 years or so. And wow. it's tough. And it is... Yeah challenging and you just get a good sweat going and at the end you feel all peaceful and and yeah, yeah. i enjoy it it's it's fantastic yeah. it's a great way to start the day i'm like okay i can tackle anything now because i sweated a pound off this morning <laughs> john do you, do you do it with her i have not yet i i've usually been i would go running while she does that in the morning, because wow. running is my exercise of choice. I may... I do not understand that. I've never understood people who enjoy running. See, I'm, I'm with you. Like, for me, most of the time when I'm running, it's like, I want to stop, I want to stop, I want to stop. <laughs> <laughs> That's me the entire time. But with yoga, I, I started it about, or I did it 10 years ago. I was going to this gym, and there was like kind of a younger fit dude who was uh, one of the folks at the gym. He's like, Delvin, you want to try yoga? And I'm like, okay, sure, why not? And then 10 minutes in and I'm sitting there in like probably warrior one or whatever and just pouring sweat. And like, how am I sweating like this? I'm just standing. Oh, really challenging. I, I enjoy it. Yeah. So I'm glad that you're getting something out of it. The purpose of this podcast is not yoga, unfortunately. We will be tackling all of Marvel's Transformers comics in order, starting with issue one and working our way to the series end at issue 80. We'll answer any questions that are brought up to the best of our ability and seeing how these books we loved as a kid hold up to our cynical adult eyes. This podcast is guaranteed to be, you guessed it, more than meets the eye. So, John, Maggie, let's take a trip back to Cybertron for the first time in almost a year and a half, right after this promo. The Transformers will return after these messages. The Justice League wouldn't help us. So Batman formed a new team. These people of power are all looking for something, be it their past or a purpose or simply somewhere to fit in. These are the heroes for a troubled age. They are the Outsiders. We are the Outsiders. Covering Mike W. Barr's 1983 series from the very beginning, as they face villains no other team can, like Agent Orange, the Force of July, and the Nuclear Family. <laughs> Puns. This is The Outcasters, a Batman and the Outsiders podcast. Look for us with The Huntress Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Or listen at our website, thehuntresspodcast.com, and follow us on Twitter at BatOutcasters. We are the Outcasters, because to live outside the law, you must be honest. We now return to the Transformers. Welcome back. The issue we will be covering today is Transformers issue 17. And here's John with the cover description. Optimus Prime points at us from the corner box above the price issue number and month box, and he's presumably telling us that it's Marvel's 25th anniversary because that's what it says above him. Uh, the Transformers logo is uncolored, as is the principally featured character on the cover outside of some purple streaks that Nell Yamtov 
must have felt he needed to just toss there to make it look like something had been done. But never mind. Uh, who we are seeing is Blaster. His face is in a scream being thrown from a great height by Decepticons who are so far above they appear tiny. They stand on the peak of an immense curved wall at the bottom of which is a bright yellow and orange lava-like substance containing various transformers in varying stages of destruction. All is in orange and lighter orange letters explain that Blaster is being thrown into the smelting pool. A caption below the logo explains that we are back on Cybertron. I remind you that this is the place that Huffer was so hellbent to get back to. (laughs) (laughs) I like this cover quite a bit. It's... um, this maybe Nel Yamtov should have taken the month off with the rest of them, and he might have actually gotten around to finish coloring this because this is literally him not finishing. The, um, the Transformers logo is not colored, or nor is the Autobot symbol, and they just smacked together, like slapped on some purple on him. But beyond that, <laughs> when I was a kid and saw this, there was no question. I picked this up and went right to the counter and bought it. I didn't even look at other comics that day. This was the first comic book that I bought with my own money. I had been collecting these when I could, and my mom would buy them here and then. But this was the one that started my collection of them. And so that's why it does have a special place in my heart. Delvin, what do you think of this one? I tell you, it definitely draws you into the book. I mean, there are a couple of things. Like, There's... A robot we haven't seen yet, mm-hmm. with Blaster, that's falling into, looks like his doom. And then that's one thing. He's the feature, and that's just definitely a, an attraction. And then there's the meanwhile back on Cybertron. Right. Like, if you've been reading the book, even loosely, you know that it had been on Earth. So this is going to give you a little bit of glimpse on what's going back at the home planet that the Autobots and Decepticons... Uh, had left all those millions of years ago. So there are a couple of very intriguing things to uh, this cover, and I like it as well. I like it a lot. To tag on that slightly, even the cartoon had also shown Cybertron numerous times since then, and and so anybody who would be a fan of both the cartoon and this, you know, it's like finally we get to see what the what the comic books version of it is. Maggie, go ahead. What do you think? (laughs) Well, it is a very striking cover, and it is a shame that the logo and blaster aren't colored in. Um, Although it does kind of create a cool effect. It definitely stands out against the rest of the colors. I think the inkings may have saved it a bit. It did. I think it did a bit. But, um, like, the melting C-3PO-looking robot down at the bottom, um, it's it's a frightening-looking cover. And I have to give it props for depicting something that happens in the book. (laughs) Your favorite. (laughs) Which is my favorite thing. That is a criteria for me. It's a staple on Longbox Crusade uh, Network, too. We like having an accurate representation of what goes on on the cover, uh, something that happened in the book, uh, without necessarily spoiling the action. And that didn't. This looks like uh, something very accurate that did happen in the book, so... Seems like we are all fans, but I don't know numerically how much, so I should probably transition. Let's rate it. Anyone who hasn't listened before might not know that we rate things on a scale of 1 to 10 here. We base it off of the tech specs from the original toys, 1 being the lowest, 10 being the highest. Maggie, ladies first, what would you rate this cover? I will. I'll give it an 8. I am going to take the two points away for Blaster not being colored in and the logo not being colored in. But I do like the rest of it. So it's it's a very solid eight for me. Nice. John? Uh, nine for me. It probably gets a one point uh, nostalgia bump for me. But this one, especially with as much as I harp about the lack of backgrounds, we have backgrounds in spades here. We actually have mm-hmm. a solid picture here. Uh, what did you think of it, Delvin? I'm with Maggie. I'm at an eight. And... I, first, I would love to see like you and Nell Yomtov in the same room. Like, <laughs> like everyone else would be like, "Oh, you did Transformers or something," and John's just pacing. <laughs> <laughs> and and there, there, there would probably wind up being like a Family Guy and the Chicken Man fight yeah. at the end of it that, because I, I just, it's so funny here. You talk about. No, like in this case, I don't know whether or not he got a chance to do the coloring or not. I can tell you that I like that, especially since they decided the rest of the cover is red and yellow, which are 
or excuse me, orange and yellow, which are two of primary colors of blaster, they instead sort mm-hmm. of pinked them out maybe a little bit and it made them stand out more. So I like that. Um, and but, you know, between that and everything else, I give the cover a solid eight. I it, because it drew me in. It would make me want to look at this. And I think, man, I have this book, but this may have been the first time that I've read it. So like, I it made me doubly intrigued to read this book. That's my story. I'm sticking with it. Here <laughs> is Maggie with the credits for the issue. All right. Transformers number 17 was first published in March of 1986. Cover date is June of 1986. Story by Bob Budiansky. Pencils by Don Perlin. Inks were Keith Williams. Colors by Nell Yomtov. Letters were Janice Chang. And editor was Mike Carlin. Thanks to Mike's Amazing World and tfwiki.info. Let's get right to the synopsis. It is a world transformed where things are not what they seem. It is the world of the The title of this issue was The Smelting Pool. Welcome to Cybertron. If you didn't think the Decepticons were bad, oh boy. They destroy any robot who doesn't have their allegiance, blast them to oblivion, and harvest their parts to make new Decepticons. Among the Autobots who don't like this, the red, orange, and yellow colored Blaster, who shows his resourcefulness right away. Blaster was waiting on Scrounge, who infiltrated the Decepticon's stronghold called Darkmount. Scrounge finds out about an important transmission the Decepticons got from Earth. Hmm, wonder what that could be. Anyway, Scrounge got caught in the dead end trying to escape. Blaster gives up on Scrounge and goes back to the hidden auto base. Led by Perceptor, no one is alarmed that Scrounge came up late or missing because, well, he's kind of a screw-up. Blaster is determined to find him, and since he's popular, the other Autobots convince Perceptor to launch an escape mission from Darkmount. Darkmount has a smelting pool where enemies are brought to, well, smelt. Told you the Decepticons are not good folks, and their leader, Strixus, is the not goodest. He tortures Scrounge and sends him to the smelting pool. The Autobots found out where Scrounge is from the denizens of the dead end, called the Empties. Perceptor, now convinced Scrounge is as dead as Cybertronian Disco, calls off the mission. Blaster goes rogue, intentionally getting caught and sent to the smelting pool. There, Blaster finds Scrounge, who is already halfway gone. While Blaster doesn't want to give up on him, Scrounge is content knowing that he served the Autobot cause well and will be remembered as such, a somber but fitting end. With the later arriving Autobots, Blaster not only escapes from the smelting pool, but also the resulting Decepticon surprise attack. Their reward for the harrowing escape is they find out Optimus Prime survived the escape from Cybertron and landed on planet Earth, giving the beleaguered Autobots the hope back on Cybertron they so desperately needed. So, let's talk about the book. On Transformers Chronicles, we take turns bringing up something from the comics, starting with but not limit it to goods and bads, and then everyone discusses. We'll start once again with Maggie. The first thing I want to bring up, I don't really know if it's a high or a low, but it's something that made me giggle. And the words Vorn and Bream really made me giggle when I read this. I love it when people try to come up with, like, sci-fi terms for time passing, you know, and if it's not Earth seconds and minutes and whatever. And I just kept laughing at the 50,000 Vorns ago. <laughs> Like, that's meaningless. <laughs> I'm oh, betting that Bob Budiansky came up with that and he was feeling himself and you're just trashing him. You should be ashamed, Maggie. I, I feel bad, <laughs> but maybe laugh. I think Borns and Bream sounds like something <laughs> robots would cause seconds slash minutes or years. It's better than Astro seconds. Well, if I remember right, a Bream is 8.2 Earth minutes and a Vorn is like 80 some odd point years of Earth time. Guess yes. what? I'm not going to look it up to say if you're right or wrong. 
<laughs> it's something like that. And eventually it reads, wait, wouldn't that just be the Cybertronian term for year and minute? So I should just say year and minute. <laughs> Probably. So, John, should I just let you go or should I should I try and keep your rein in a little bit? I know, you're <laughs> I know you're excited to talk about the book, so please say whatever it is you need to say. Yes, you cannot stop me. You can only hope to contain me. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I will give a good to the creative team, even you, Nell, on this one. Um, they really did. This is um, the art really is coming around there, and it really does a great job of depicting what is going on here. I mean, and Bob channeled his inner Stanley like so much in this. I mean, but it, talking the description of Cybertron, but a closer look reveals it to be a pockmarked mechanical wasteland. A misery-written monument to millions of years of war and oppression. I mean, Stan, if he would, if he would have been visiting the offices that day, would have probably given him a big thumbs up and said, "Enough said." <laughs> <laughs> but he had told uh, Don Perlin when he was um, telling him what sort of look he was going for. He just told him to uh, picture hell. That's mm. what he wanted Cybertron to look. For look like and it's so different than the cybertron that we had seen up to this point they had gone to cybertron on the cartoon via the space bridge or sometimes omega supreme can apparently just fly him there eventually and it's always very shiny and new and there's not much going on there and there really doesn't seem to be anybody around except for shockwave who stands in front of the monitor all the time but in this this is what a uh, planet that has had two warring factions of almost unkillable robots fighting on it for 4 million years. I mean, our Autobots and Decepticons got to sleep for most of it, but they've been fighting for that amount of time. The thing that stood out to me first and foremost was they went or Bob, I shouldn't say they. Bob went out of the way. If there were any debate about the nefariousness of the Decepticons, that was put to rest because, my God, like, their thing. Okay, yeah, we're going to find uh, these poor creatures, sometimes Autobots, sometimes just other factions of robots. We don't like you. We're going to kill you. and We're going to recycle you. Oh, we're going to kill you. We're going to torture you and harvest your body parts to make more of us. Okay, that's not nice. <laughs> I mean, I can picture Megatron back home going, Whoa, don't you think you've taken it a bit far? I mean, yikes. That is just a simply not nice thing. And it immediately just made, seeing what the Decepticons did in the first two pages before Blaster made his reluctant save of the lesser robot, I already strongly dislike the Decepticons for what they did. So kudos to Bob on that because I, I it made me mad. I, I did not like anything the Decepticons were about. There was there's no reason for them to do what they did other than just simply enjoying the torture of it. I agree with you wholeheartedly on that one. And plus the Autobots on the other end of it. I mean, they've basically been reduced to just being terrorist cells at this point. There's a little tiny group of people living literally underground. You get the idea that there's probably dozens or hopefully hundreds of these things around. But in any sort of situation like that, I mean, they probably don't know who where everyone else is. They can't they don't have any sort of leader and the leaders they do don't show the greatest leadership. They are really in dire straits here. I mean, it really puts into this. This whole miserable, desperate situation, and you're, and we're only like, you know, three, four pages in, and you're like, what are they gonna do? <laughs> yeah, it was pretty clear that the Decepticons have gotten the better of this war, and the Autobots had been forced underground, and you have the smartest person leading them, seemingly in Perceptor, and and if you notice, if if I know you two are big on Star Trek. The smartest guy usually isn't the greatest leader. So if we took that analogy a little further, you got Perceptor being Spock, and you probably had Blaster playing Captain Kirk a little bit. Was that too far off? The Chris Pine Kirk, who hasn't yet figured out he's the leader he needs to be. Mm-hmm. By the end of it, he's definitely come through the other end of the Crucible, and you think he's going forward from here, he's going to be a better bot. But yeah, I think that's pretty good. 
We don't. I don't think we have a, a Bones here. He's back on Earth. That's that's Ratchet. But yes, I I I can't. I couldn't blame any of Perceptor's decisions. You couldn't. Well, no. He's like, I'm trying to keep us alive and at least give us some hope to fight so we can only really go after the ones, the missions that are really worthwhile and saving Scrounge isn't worthwhile. Sorry. And Blaster wasn't wrong either necessarily. He was the heart of it. You know, he had a lot of heart doing what he did. Fascinating book already. I won't do much of the talking. I I want you guys to talk. Maggie, please tell us something else about the book. Uh, one of the things I really liked about this story was that despite the hellscape that we see uh, the Transformers in, there is this friendship between Blaster and Scrounge, um, which I got sucked into rather quickly, especially when you get towards the end of the book um, with what happens to, to poor Scrounge. Um, and at first when I was reading it, I was like, Blaster's kind of a jerk. Uh, but then the more you keep reading, you're like, oh, wait, no, he's actually pretty cool. And Perceptor's kind of a jerk. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I can understand that, you know, the position that they're in, Perceptor has to make difficult decisions. And if Scrounge had been doing nothing but proving himself to be kind of, uh, not a lazy about, but just not very useful, he's kind of a screw up. um, So he's just dead weight. We got to leave him behind. And Blaster's like, no, we can't leave any one of us behind. So to have them all rally together to go try to save this bot who, you know, goes into the smelting pool was, I thought, very cool. And what what that's saying, going with what you said and what Delvin said before, what this is really showing is why they're losing. They don't Mm. have the leadership. I mean, Perceptor is a leader by default, but he doesn't have any leadership characteristics. Whether or not that's a good or a bad decision, he made the decision. And Blaster shouldn't be able to go, well, screw you, I'm going. Oh, yeah. No, he should order him, no, you stay here, you're too valuable. You know, and if you don't, you suffer, you know, whatever military consequences. But they're to a point where Perceptor has absolutely no means of stopping Blaster from doing whatever he wants. We sort of get this idea here that with their perceived death of Optimus Prime, um, because they think that they blew up in a Decepticon attack when they were leaving Cybertron, that that sort of fractured the Autobots on Cybertron. I think that the loss of Optimus Prime left them leaderless and in a panic, and they're obviously not faring very well. well and not only Optimus Prime, but a whole bunch of their really good guys. Right, yeah, all gone. the best ones. <laughs> and all the Dinobots and a bunch of them that apparently uploaded their personalities yeah. to there. And, <laughs> I remember that. And the only guy, Autobot, who can make new Autobots is down there. The Decepticons have proven really good at improvising when it comes to making new Decepticons. Here. Yeah, I mean, they've got like a conveyor what's that called with what henry ford the assembly line? the assembly line of making new decepticons by cannibalizing other people other transformers i this was a horrifying issue i was really taken aback reading this i'm like this is for kids i can see kids glossing over the finer points of that whole thing you know and saying okay yeah they're bad and keep going but yeah reading this now as an adult, it's like, yeah, Decepticons are, while they definitely did anything they needed to do to survive, that was horrible. Just mm-hmm. the practices that they did. And even if they were just doing it to survive, it's very clear that it went past that point, especially with the smelting pool, where they just simply sent robots to be tortured. And Straxus, that dude just, he seemed just like a great A jerk. Well, he's completely yeah. insane, but I yes, I liked him. He's a great villain. Oh, he's even better in the next one. They they give him a recurring catchphrase and everything. Oh, nice. That's how you know yeah, he's great. A and Scrounge and Straxus, those are not uh, characters based on toys. Those were characters that Bob just made up for this. But I mean, Bob has a lot of practice making up Transformers. It's too bad too, though, because I I was like, oh, he would have been a really cool toy, Scrounge, because he makes a little wheel thing, and I'm like, like, that would have been a neat toy for kids. Somebody might have made him. I'm trying to think because mm. there's a lot of different variants. I should look into that. Mm. Well, I mean, hopefully, like they didn't mess around too much because there's really no need to reinvent. The what do you have for your next high low what the I'm still laughing at that 
I like the the empties and dead end and the whole concept of non Autobot Decepticon Transformers is something that gets brought back again and used very much so in in uh, in the IW comic uh, robots in disguise that we're covering right now. Yep. They call them nails there for non-affiliated indigenous life form. Yes. Those are the Transformers that went, I want absolutely nothing to do with your war, and most of them skipped the planet. Here, it doesn't look like they had that option. Maybe Prime took the only ship and their best guys. You know, I'm starting to have questions about Optimus Prime's <laughs> leadership ability. Or, right or his motivation for leaving. Like, maybe he's like, you know what? Peace out. <laughs> we're going to go well, try somewhere else. Well, they were in this one, they were um, clearing out the asteroids field that, were, that Cybertron was in danger of crossing into. And apparently he needed all his guys for that. However, there was... Dublin, I don't know if I told you this, but Simon Furman did a Transformers issue zero that is supposed to be take place before issue one of this series. You and did tell me about it. Has that come out yet? It has come out. I don't like it. <laughs> I saw the mythology. I saw number zero. I was like, oh, what's that? You didn't like it, though, huh? I did not. Mm. Um, it wouldn't really be something we'd want to do until, except maybe after issue 80 because it's definitely a prequel that that assumes you know things about Furman's run okay he's playing it it gives optimus prime a much more nefarious purpose for leaving oh and i I, I don't like it i don't like the idea of that (laughs) yeah i don't like it well you know maybe we'll talk about it someday but okay but yes the the non-allied transformers that was something that really intrigued me as a kid and it adds more depth to the universe this issue does add a lot more depth to the Transformers universe than what we've had, and that and I really appreciate that. I remember you saying that towards the end of Bob's run, which extended into the fifties of this book, mm-hmm. that he was getting burned out at the end. He's not there yet. Clearly, no, no. This is really where he starts picking up steam from this into the 30s. They're all with a couple of, you know, clunkers here and there. A lot of just really good stories. Uh, Let's see. I'll talk about Blaster a little bit. I like Blaster. And I would love to pick uh, Bob's brain to see why he chose Blaster of all of the Transformers to spotlight as that renegade type Autobot. It was interesting. And because, you know, a lot of times in movies or comic books, they'll do something. They'll let the cool guy do something cool to let you know that he's cool, you mm-hmm. know. And here, sure enough, like he's like, ah, you know, I wasn't even supposed to be here today and saves the robot that he didn't even like. But he saved them because it was a Decepticon and that was the right thing to do to save robot life and all that stuff. Uh I would. I love to know why he picked Blaster, and I I like Blaster. I love I love how much of a uh, of a badass he was in the book. Uh, it, it made this issue uh, as him with him being the protagonist. It made it a very good book to read. I was uh, pondering that exact same thing before we recorded about that, and my guess that jumped to my brain is because this strikes me as another issue where Hasbro came in with a bunch of toys and said. Here, these all have to go in this issue. And he's looking at all of the Autobots. And Blaster, out of these toys, is the biggest of them. Mm-hmm. Because they figure, well, he's looking, well, because they're all minibots except for Perceptor and Blaster. And he's like, well, let's see, I got a boombox and a microscope. <laughs> well, this one's got a gun. All right, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> and this isn't the last time that we're going to hear about Blaster's Electro Scrambler. No. No, that that one stuck with me forever because I think it, it. Every time he uses it, he has to announce that maybe that's part of the the firing of it. It's, it's like got a, like a power word or yeah, power exactly. phrase to activate it. Yeah, he just wants to make sure the Decepticons know why they suddenly can't fly. Oh <laughs> no, not the Electro Scrambler! Yes, it is the Electro Scrambler that I am using. It scrambles electrons. That's what it does. It's the Electro Scrambler. <laughs> Meanwhile, Mirage sitting on the outside going, I've got an electro scrambling. Shut up, Mirage. We're not talking about you. We're talking about Blaster. Fine. I'm going to go hunt Turbo Fox. (laughs) (laughs) 
an aristocratic transformer. That's just is it's an interesting idea to me. But I agree with you too on Blaster. Blaster's great, and uh, Blaster is definitely Bob Budiansky's favorite transformer. He saves would, the day. I would give it, and he really wants a, him to be our favorite too, and it's close to it. He's going to be around a lot. Mm. Yes, I mean, he, I mean he's featured in this one and the next one, and then he goes away for a little bit. But when he comes back, he is there for a long period of time. And that's at a point when the cast um, changes rather rapidly, but he is definitely remains the focus. Well, if we spend some time talking about, um, wow, I wanted to call him Trailbreaker. And it's because I was thinking of his Electro Scrambler and how that's about as cool as Trailbreaker's mag boots that he's got. (laughs) Um, But Blaster, um, Scrounge was pretty impressive, considering this is a little bot who is out to try to prove that he's better than what his comrades think of him and he wants to prove himself and he's finally got this opportunity to do it and he gets caught in a stupid way because the Decepticons have way better security than the Autobots do and he does not cave in the face of death. He does not tell them anything. He doesn't tell them what information he has and I had mad props for him for that. It was kind of like a Bumblebee moment. You know, the little scrappy one, but he faced it head on and like a, like a warrior. I think he may have been painted yellow on purpose. Yo, yes. you think? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I want a feeling bad for Scrounge because he kind of, mm-hmm. he did have a heroic arc at the end and that is cool. But I mean, the rest of the Autobots kind of saw him as a screw up. And then like, while he did get some very important information, he screwed up in getting caught yeah. Yeah. And then it was, I mean, Bob did such a good job of making him sympathetic to where he's in front of the merciless Straxus. And he's like, no, the only thing that made me special. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, yeah. no. And Straxus is like, oh, this little thing? Snip, snip, snip. Like, oh, come on. Let the oh. man keep his arm. <laughs> yeah, I, I felt bad for him, too. When he went into the smelting pool, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I didn't, I was not expecting that. I thought he was like another one of the toys because he's one of the ones who's like defined and colored in. And mm-hmm. the, the non affiliated Transformers who are being turned into scrap and being recycled are all like just kind of silhouettes and they're not colored in. They don't have a lot of detail, although they do have some. Um, but I, I was not seeing that. I did not see that coming. However, I will say that I thought his sacrifice at the end was entirely unnecessary because he absolutely had an opportunity to get away. Granted, they don't have Ratchet to put him back together again. So it could have been an argument about quality of life kind of thing if he was just going to be a torso with one arm and a head. What kind of life is that? And as we've seen in other universes, Perceptor sucks at any sort of medicine. All he can yeah, do that's is not look at thing. you and tell you that the wound is fatal and then be sad about <laughs> exactly. it. Exactly. Uh, but he's not going to be able to fix it like Ratchet can. So yeah. I, I did kind of think that that was a little silly, but yeah, also, not too bad. What would, what would he transform into? Half a wheel? <laughs> <laughs> See, now I'm making fun of him. Aw, that's bad. Okay. Um, John, any, anything else about this issue? The Autobots are so dedicated to their cause that even in their secret base, that if it were found by anyone, they would all be killed. They have a giant Autobot symbol on the on the door. <laughs> well, if you if you made it that far, right. <laughs> uh, also, I want to hand it just to the Minibots in general. They all get to do stuff. Yeah, they do for sure. Cosmos and Sea Spray. Warpath. Sea Spray, who... Power Glide. Power Glide. I had all of these guys, so it was really neat for me to see them in the in the comic, and it was nice that he gave them all their moment to shine. I mean, Beachcomber even, like, yanks down a... Oh, gun or something, a, yeah. Some like a turret. Of, like, turret, and it's two and a half times the size of him. And then there's my buddy Cosmos, who is uh, starting his killing spree. Remember this next time, but here he's got... He's shooting shoots with a bazam and he's blasting the heads off of two Decepticons that are right in front of him. His uh, bloodlust does not end this <laughs> issue. Yeah, he, he kills and kills and kills. He's You think he's just this cute little UFO going around? Well, he's he's a badass when he comes to Earth eventually and they're like, well, maybe you should change your alt mode. You know, you look like a, I will be what I want. I am a killer and if I want to look like a UFO, I will. Okay. Uh, Delvin, you got anything else? 
I'm actually out of stuff, I believe. We've, I feel like we've discussed it pretty good. It was a fantastic view back into Cybertron. And again, if I had Bob in the room, I would love to know what made him bring it back. But that was an excellent tie-in uh, or foreshadow when was it in issue 10 when they when the signal was sent out and it was sent down to the ether and they're like i wonder what happened to that and what a great way to get back to cybertron to tell this story and to do what they uh needed to do uh, i'm just super impressed with it but we can talk about that in a little bit uh do any of the either of you have anything that you want to add just a, a nod to the very end and the bit where the Autobots got to see the message and they all found out that Optimus mm. Prime was alive mm-hmm. and just the, and it was very well told. You got you know the message itself was paced well and then Optimus Prime and everybody's like holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> and and it it's a great thing about Optimus Prime or any of that sort of character, the Captain America or Superman type. Just his presence is enough to give hope where hope is necessary. And it's a, it's a really cool reminder of Optimus Prime. My last thought about just the issue as a whole is, um, as of the recording of this episode, John and I are kind of starting to think about what we might want to cover for Halloween. And as I was reading this, I'm like, this would fit. Like, we could do this as a horror book. It was really intense and kind of scary. That smelting pool was creepy. And and the ideas of, of what they're doing to these poor people. And then like the Autobots are just tearing around like get out of my way. We have no time for you. We've got a war to fight and we're not doing well. You know, just this chaos that has erupted on Cybertron since Megatron and Optimus Prime left, leaving the Autobots and Decepticons left on Cybertron to just duke it out. And now we get to see what's been going on and it's not pretty. I loved Straxus. I got a very Mad Max vibe from him. In fact, as soon as I saw him, and this obviously predates the movie by a lot, but I was like, he looks like a Morton Joe from Fury Road. He totally does. He's a <laughs> very like warlord kind of a character uh and i i really liked him it's definitely a you know apocalyptic kind of a a landscape that we have now in this book and i was really drawn into this one i i want i like to the point where i know it's a two-parter so i would like to read number two please and i didn't get to tonight but i i will because i'm i'm curious i want to know what else happens well, I would like to read it, too. I haven't read it yet. I, if, I, if I read 18, I don't remember it. I have it, and if I if I read it when I got it, I don't remember it. So it'll be like reading it new all over again. So, or I can't wait to read it, too. I'm looking forward to it. Now is the time for us to talk about who had the touch, where we talk about which character in the book stood out the most, be it Autobot, Decepticon, or Human. You got the touch. You got the power. John, it's your Christmas man. Which present do you like the most out of all that we unwrapped today? Wow. There's a lot of them. Uh... Much like uh, something else I unwrapped as a kid, I'm going to give it to the Minibots. They uh, managed to disobey orders eventually. I can go after their friend, and they all get to do something cool. And Power Glide's alt mode looks way cooler than his toys. And and Warpath is always great. And Cosmos kills and kills and kills. So it is the Minibots. They got their touch. Nice. So you go with all of the Minibots. Okay. I'll go next. I'll go next. Uh... I'll just go with the main guy. I liked Blaster. I liked how he was introduced. I liked that he drove the action in the book. And he displayed very Optimus Prime-like characters of, even though Blaster surely had significant importance singularly to the Autobot cause, it didn't matter as much as going and saving the lesser person. Mm Mm-hmm. That says a lot to me. I love seeing characters who are like that, and Blaster was like that, and so he had to touch for me. What about you, Maggie? 
I'm going to give my touch to a series of panels <laughs> to, between Blaster and Scourge, or uh, Scrounge, not Scourge. And when Blaster goes down into the smelting pool to try to save Scrounge, and he's like, you know, I let them catch me so I could find you. Hold on, little buddy. And he's trying to pull him out, and Scrounge is like, no, just take the information. And Blaster says, no, I don't care about the information. I'm here for you. And he's trying to pull him out. And it, it's such a good moment. And even though I had just been introduced to these two characters in the book, I bought the friendship, and I really liked that moment. I thought it was really sad. And I thought it was a really kind of a bittersweet ending because, you know, Scrounge got what he wanted, but he ended up, you know, sacrificing himself in the process. And but in order to give a new hope to the Autobots, and it was a very good way to end this this story of this first part. So my touch is going to go to those scenes between Blaster and Scrounge. I want it in my head. Anyway, I have the uh, Titanic theme playing. When you were describing those pages. <laughs> I was reading them. I'm like, if you take these out of context, these are very romantic panels. Like, Blaster's totally the white knight coming to save the day. nothing I fear. Oh, oh I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you, but you're right. That It was... It was very touching. It's like, no, like, leave leave me. And I'm, I'm half melted. Oh, yeah. It, it was sad. It, it was. Yeah. And... But Scrounge definitely got his his day, and Scrounge was uh, had a tragic arc, but wound up having a pretty awesome ending as well. All right, enough of that awesome stuff. We talked about the touch, but somebody had to be out of touch. So we talked about the character that was worse in the book, and they should be forced to beg for spare energy in the segment called Less Than Meets the Eye. But just a broken machine and I do things that don't really mean long black night. All right, I'll go first. Less than meets the eye. Huh. There are a lot of standout characters. If I had to go less than meets the eye, I, I'll just go with the Decepticons in general. They're they're just the worst. <laughs> 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 I know this is a book about the heroic Autobots and the sinister Decepticons, but like just as soon as the harvesting started, I'm like, you guys are bastards and I don't like you. So like all of the Decepticons of the book, like including the Madman Straxus, all of them are less than meets the eye to me. To the point that you're punching the air when a, when Blaster is shooting lava at them. You're like, yeah, you take it, Bombshell. Oh, yeah, that's another thing that was worth mentioning, that Blaster at the end, especially after losing Scrounge, he lost it. He just flipping lost it. Yeah, man. So, yeah, Decepticons, less than ECI to me. Uh, that leaves Maggie, correct? Yes. For less than meets the eye, I'm going to pick Shrapnel. He did not have a good day. He's in this book. We didn't talk about him. He had a bad day. <laughs> he got, he was the one who, like, he came out right when they were about to uh, push Scrounge into the, oh no, Blaster into the pool. And he takes him to Straxus because he thought that Straxus would, would want to, like, see that they caught this, you know, very popular. And I think they refer to him as, like, the best warrior that they have is Blaster. And Straxus just smacks him down and punches him, like, on top of the head <laughs> and knocks him down. So Shrapnel gets my less than meets the eye. I will give it to Perceptor. Good choice. Uh, he was my runner-up. Yeah, I mean, Perceptor is the leader, as he will point out, and he seems to want to be the leader. He seems to believe he's the smart choice, but he's obviously not the not the right choice for for leader. And if they would continue to follow him, I don't. They may, you know, he seems to be. I'm having them in the point of stay safe and don't get killed. Well, this is a war. You're an insurgency. You've got to go out and do things, but. I think the whole point of this was kind of him realizing that and Blaster realizing, you know, his leadership abilities. So now is the time for overall ratings for the book. To recap for the audience, we will honor the tech specs that came with every Transformers toy by giving a rating of one to ten, ten being the best, to describe how we felt about this issue. Maggie, you are up. What do you rate this issue, Transformers 17? You know, I'm going to give this a 10. I really liked it. Even with the Vorns and the Breams, I, I really liked the issue overall. I liked the story. I liked the art. Um, 
And it, it definitely, like I said, made me want to read more of it. So, and there was really nothing about it that I thought, oh, that kind of sucked or that was kind of cruddy, but whatever. I didn't really have those moments. Um, when I was reading this, I thought it was a well-written story. I loved the descriptions. They were, um, full of adjectives that were very full of horror and terror um, to describe this hellscape that Cybertron is on. And I really liked the language that was used in the writing style. It was really dark and grim and scary. Um, so I, I quite liked it. I will give it a full 10, 10 points. Fantastic. John, what do you rate it? Far be it for me to disagree with the better half of Married with Comics and the Rod Pod. I will also give this a 10 I mean, nice. this is for the every reason you said and more. This is an extremely entertaining comic book. It's one I always think back of, um, and it really represents a turning point in the sophistication of the story <laughs> from what we've seen to what we're going to see. And yeah. Plus, you have the nostalgia factor, too. I mean, the first comic you buy with your own money, that's an important thing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a happy memory. It sure is. And yeah. Uh, I am glad to know that even beyond, even nostalgia aside, this is a solid comic book. That as well, right. Yeah. Right. How about you, Delvin? I'm full of stories, and I have a very quick one before I go to what should be a pretty obvious rating. Uh, when we, uh, on another network, uh, on our Majesty's Secret podcast, we did the Bond movies, and as you probably know, uh, Jared is a big, big James Bond fan. In particular, he's a fan of timothy dalton and uh timothy dalton did two bond movies um license to kill and the living daylights and i remember just how much he raved about license to kill and i got to the movie and never watched it and but at the same time i share enthusiasm for things that my friends like and so I, I kept an eye on it and, and I had a positive attitude and I went in and watched the movie and I wound up rating the movie a seven out of seven. And it wasn't because Jared would have rated a seven out of seven. It was because I saw it and there were like four different moments in, in the movie where I was just like, what the heck? This is and it just threw me for a loop and it was a great action and all that. Now here to Transformers. John has talked about this book, this book in particular for months now, and how he just could not wait for us to get to this story and talk about Cybertron and everything that went on there. And man, I think Bob knocked it out of the park. This in a way is a love song. Like you can tell that he put his heart and soul into it and the art was good. The story was good. So very much like you two, I give it a 10. It was, it was, very enjoyable just like like wow what's going to happen how are they we know they're going to wind up in earth right like we're they're going to take it back to earth but how i have no idea and i don't remember reading 18 either so i'm excited to uh, read 18 and it's based off of the fantastic issue that we just read wow three tens yeah has that ever happened before i mean not you guys a, have had 17 episodes now not on this show i don't think i don't think i've given 10 to to anything hmm. has anyone given a 10 to anything um i don't know we've had some high ratings i don't think we've given we've all given it a 10 before but hey that just means that this book stands out even further as a fantastic book so bob budiansky if you ever hear this please take about sir fantastically written book and now we can and never will leave you without John's segment of the show called Transformer Spotlight, where he discusses a particular Transformer which was featured in today's issue. Take it away, John. And now, a nice and nifty musical selection for easy listening. Hold on to your dancing shoes and go, man, go! Here is what you could read on the back of Blaster's Toy, and we're also at tfu.info where I got this information. Thanks again to Anthony. Blaster's allegiance is Autobot. His function is communication. His motto, when the music is rockin', I'm rollin'. Blaster finds all Earth music interesting, but it's rock and roll, good, hard, and loud, that really sparks his circuits. In the forefront of any situation he's involved in, as AM-FM stereo cassette player, he can perform as, as a tape deck plus receive radio signals. Wait, wait, I'm sorry. What What is an A? a what was that? That What's that language? I didn't understand it. Well, you see, Nikolai Tesla back in the day came up. <laughs> <laughs> the theory of alternating currents. But it was still... No, 
<laughs> Cryptic thing just this side of a gramophone called an AM FM stereo cassette player. He can perform as a tape deck, plus receive radio signals of all frequencies with power outputs as low as one millionth of a watt, and yet Laserbeak still lives in the arc. <laughs> Access Autobot Communication Center can transmit up to 4,000 miles. Uh, carries an electro scrambler gun that disrupts electrical devices. And here is his stats. As we know, on the scale of 1 to 10, his strength is 8. He's rather strong. His intelligence is 8. Just as smart. His speed is 2. That doesn't seem like much, but you find me an AM FM stereo cassette player that can go <laughs> faster than that. <laughs> His endurance is 8, his rank is 7, uh, his courage is 9, as we've seen today, his mm-hmm. firepower is 7, and his skill is 9. Now, Blaster's personality and role vary across the different Transformers incarnations so much, he's almost like different characters in everyone that he's in. That aspect of him kind of exists with the toy, too, which began life as Takara's Microman, Microchange line. He was released in this capacity in 1984 as MC-21 Radio Cassette Robo, which I think he should have kept that name, too. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's awfully catchy, isn't it? It better than Blaster. Rolls off the tongue, that does. But you can get him in two color schemes. He could be, he was either dark blue or, or red and dark blue. Um, this version of the toy was considerably different from the Transformers release in that it featured a working AM radio. Now, because of that... Ooh, that's cool. Right, but then when it was transferred over, um, it was uh, heavily retooled and somewhat redecorated for his Transformers debut. In the debut, the entire electronic portion of the toy was removed, and the switches, hatches, and ports were sealed up and molded over... But the fact that since he was a working radio in 1984, he was had to be very big and bulky. Oh. So he's, of all of the Transformers that came out in this wave, and they were pretty impressive looking. They were starting to really get good. You had the Dinobots and Insecticons, and then you had this big blocky blaster, which unfortunately next to the sound wave didn't look even less impressive and they were obviously supposed to fight each other it kind of makes me like think of that image though of that person walking down the street with their boombox on their shoulder but instead of a boombox it's blaster <laughs> i think there's a meme where rumble is doing that. <laughs> yeah, that's great Rumble's right. not very smart well uh his red and silver body was highlighted with a bright yellow tape door as opposed to the stickered blue door of the original so the cassette door could now hold him open up and hold on to a mini cassette although no Autobot cassettes would be released until the following year. But I'm pretty sure that I saw a TV ad back in the day that advertised Blaster's U.S. toy as being a working radio. Uh, but my after my extensive research, by which I mean five minutes of scanning tfu.info and transformerland.com, I, uh, looks like that it was never sold that way in the U.S., but if I'm wrong, uh, listeners, please let me know because I want to know if I dreamed that or not because I have a very distinct memory of seeing an ad that did that. Now, about those personalities. In the Marvel books here, Blaster comes out of the gate more developed than any other character we've met to this point. He's a super competent, brooding loner who has problems with authority and a compassionate side that shows up only occasionally. Blaster is Wolverine, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, in the G1 cartoon, Blaster was here to play you the greatest hits of yesterday and today as long as it's rock and roll, which he loudly plays and the other Autobots cover their ears and it's funny. Uh, he's a very upbeat personality voiced by the late Buster Jones, who is, you probably know him from it if you watch any cartoons at all. He played Black Balkan from Super Friends. He was Doc from G.I. Joe. Uh, he was Winston Zedmore on the, re- the Real Ghostbusters. Uh, Blaster would occasionally speak in rhyming phrases on the cartoon, but not to the extent of Wheelie, which is why we like him. <laughs> <laughs> you leave Wheelie alone. He had a hard time. Oh, yeah. He was spoiler for our next uh, Rod Pod that should be out shortly. Uh, he would occasionally be featured opposing Soundwave whenever you needed some sort of radio-related adventure. <laughs> I've been waiting a long time for this. You poor excuse for a sound system. Oh, talk. No shock. 
It was only toward the end he got his cassettes, like his Decepticon counterpart, but most of them are really, really forgettable except for Rewind, and that's only because of IDW Phase 2. I have a Rewind right over there. Uh, speaking of, Blaster is the communications officer on the Lost Light, and like Lieutenant Ura there, whose job he has, he's just kind of around. Um, anytime there's a communication-related problem, he's there to announce it, but he usually doesn't take part in any fights like he does in Marvel. I hope that fans of the show like Blaster at least a little, because he is going to be front and center for a while, starting in earnest in the mid-20s and going forward for the rest of Budiansky's run. And that is Blaster. Thanks, John. We will now go to a promo break. The Transformers will return after these messages. Afternoon, everybody. Ryan! How's that baby treating you, Mr. Daly? Like Thanos snapping his fingers at my bank account. In that case, how about a beer on the house? Sure. Gotta give my mouth something to do between podcasts. Say, Ryan, I don't get how you have so much time for podcasting. Doesn't your wife want you spending time with the baby? Would you? (laughs) Truth is, I think she's a little worried about how much time I'm spending with the kid, ever since his first words were Dagobah system. (laughs) Now she wants me to go out and do something mature, something productive, and most of all, something lucrative that can support the family. So you're going to... Podcast about cheers, yeah. That kid's not going to start college for 18 years. I got time. <laughs> Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Network. We now return to the Transformers. And that's the show. Please come back and join us for the next episode where we discuss Transformers issue 18, where we continue our Cybertronian trek. If you'd like to hear more from us, the Longbox Crusade is in a lot of places. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and most podcatchers to include Spotify at www.longboxcrusade.com. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon, Longbox Crusade. YouTube, we have a do-it live stream once a month, every second Sunday. Come find us. You can also email us at contact at longboxcrusade.com. I'd also like to give a special shout out to our Crusaders Club members. You know who you are. We appreciate your love and support. If you would like to join our Crusaders Club, we would love to have you. Membership starts at only $1 a month, and we work hard to earn your buck. We also would like to give a shout out to our sponsor, Omaha Bound Entertainment, who does those hard binding special comics in your collection, custom designing every cover, so every single hardcover they design is unique, as well as selling special trade collections of hard-to-find comics. All of this is available on their website, which is omahabound.com. John, please tell us about your podcast and where you can be found on the internet. You can find Maggie and I on The Rod Pod, where we cover the IDW Phase 2 Transformers comics in order, and also Married with Comics, where we talk about everything else, sometimes comics even. Uh, You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or everywhere that you found this podcast. Or tell your Amazon device to play Married with Comics Podcast. Or check us out on Twitter. I am at MWC underscore podcast. And I am at Maggie in the rain. There is no I in in. And uh, you can send us an email at marriedwcomics at gmail.com. There is no if in with. <laughs> there is no if in with, and I would be remiss for the rest of my Longbox Crusade members if I didn't say Maggie in the rain. Actually, there is a Red Hot Chili Peppers song called Rain Dance Maggie. I mean, I'm not a huge Red Hot Chili Peppers fan, but they've got a couple songs I like. Rain Dance Maggie's all right. I was going to say, is that a good song? I don't think I've heard it. It's. I like it well enough. It's better than Maggie May by frickin' Rod Stewart. <laughs> Heard that my whole life. Hate that song. <laughs> well, I, I think I, I I'm going to die in peace with never hearing a song that's, that's called Delvin. So, I mean, there's that. <laughs> and I can be found on Twitter at D-E-E underscore R-A-Y 1977. See you next time. And remember, freedom is the right of all sentient beings till all are one. Till all, Til all, all are one. Till all are one. Till all are one. Till all are one.
Song clips and characters discussed are copyright of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended, and it is for entertainment purposes only. We are just fans that like to share our love of comics. Little did I know her body 